0: We are finding story of the past and now from South Australia. I am a story tourer from the sea to the outback, the southern Ocean where the living sea dragon live, where the last sailing sheep of a windjammer sail along the Spencer Gulf. Where the last sowing sheep called in, and the namescape of the Fender Ranges of the Royal Hops and Sturt Dizen Pea Flower of the Upback. Today, we are at the Old Telegraph station, Museum of Financial Trusts at Goa. Tony Bal- Balis to re- discuss a man called uh, Child Todd.
1: Until recently, he was best and to many only known for his work with the Overland Telegraph. Though this was a tremendous feat of management, It's two years but a short part of this man's 50-year contribution to our national heritage. However lesser known is the fact that he worked with similar bright people in his colony and the others on the continent to establish the foundations of astronomy, meteorology, electrical engineering, timekeeping, surveying, telegraphy and an efficient postal system. His life as an astronomer started when he was 15 and employed at the Greenwich Observatory as a supernumerary astronomical computer, which is someone who does the calculations from the observations made by the astronomer. He showed great ability in mathematics and potential as an observer. During this time, he assisted in the determination of longitude between Cambridge and Greenwich Observatories by telegraphic means. He became superintendent of the Galvanic Apparatus for the Transmission of Time Signals, requiring close cooperation with the Electric Telegraph Company. And he also had involvement with experiments in undersea cables. Todd became fascinated with telecommunications. What as have you got? Well, in 1855, the South Australian Government requested Sir George, George Airy, the Astronomer Royal, to select an Observer and Superintendent of Electric Telegraph at the salary of £400 pounds a year. He nominated Todd who was appointed on 10th of February and he reached Port Adelaide in the ship the Irene on the 4th of November.
0: So, so you when, so this is South Australia government who want to uh, expand and have a, a telegraph?
1: Well, it's more than just telegraph. It's telegraph, it's an observatory for the stars um, it's managing the time across the networks. It's the whole package that Todd was.
0: He must have been an amazing man to have all that knowledge. Well,
1: certainly, I, I, I think he'd possibly be the closest thing to a genius that I've ever uh, come across.
0: We, we heard a lot about the Overland Telegraph line. Uh, can you give us a summary of it more?
1: Well, certainly. um We held some celebrations on the 22nd of August of 2022 to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the completion of the Overland Telegraph Line. This line was an engineering feat for its day. It went from Port Augusta in South Australia through to Port Darwin in the Northern Territory and then connected Australia to the rest of the world via an undersea cable to Java in Indonesia. Just consider a project covering 3,200 kilometres across relatively unknown country in a time frame of two years. An amazing achievement even by today's standards. Well, the wires were actually on poles, so they were bare wires. So you had uh, 36,000 poles they put in the ground between Port Augusta and Port Darwin Mm. and strung a wire across the top of them and then roughly every 200 kilometres you would have a repeater station because the signal would never be strong enough to go that distance in one hop. At Port Darwin is where it connected to an undersea cable. Todd's, Todd's portion was building the Australian portion but the British government had various companies involved building the other sections going through places like India and then on through to London of course. And the big thing that it changed was instead of mail from Adelaide to London taking 8, 10, 12 weeks or more to get there, you could actually deliver a telegraph message in a day.
0: When you put the the cable under
1: the water, had to protect the the, uh, the wires. The cables um, were pretty simple affairs. You had a core wire... It was insulated in a rubber-like compound and it would have a protection sheath on the outside. And they were laid by cable ships set up for that purpose. And yes, occasionally they did break. We're still laying these cables today, but these days we're doing it with optical fibre. And the world is actually connected so many times from country to country and continent to continent with the optical fibre... But in those days, there was a very small number of cables. When, they, when you would land them in a country, you would then cross that country by wire on poles again and then go back underground when you needed to, uh, undersea when you needed to cross.
0: Yes, uh, how long did it take to go to Adelaide to Darwin to, f- to be finished?
1: Well, the network tide had already built up to Port Augusta prior to that. So we already had a working telegraph network in South Australia. And in fact, we were already connected to Melbourne as well. So the telegraph line was the Overland Telegraph line was actually from Port Augusta through to Port Darwin, and that was two years roughly to complete that project. Well, the Overland Telegraph section uh, was completed in 1872.
0: Up this up in three different uh, regions: the big, uh, Southern region, the middle. And the top end, so they had three different airways going up at the same, same time.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So they had three crews running at the same time uh, to try and speed the process up.
0: When they finished that, I remember Todd then went to uh, Port Augusta to the to West Australia border.
1: He constructed a line to Eucla on the border of, or just over the border, of West Australia. The West Australian government built their side to the Eucla and uh, then we would pass telegrams to operators at at Eucla. They would hand it to their West Australian counterparts and vice versa. But when it came to West Australia, the, the West Australians used a slight variation of that code which made it so that uh, an operator at Eucla on the South Australian side had to convert code, code to writing, and hand the piece of paper through to the West Australian side, and they turned that writing back into their version of the code and vice versa.
0: So when we first uh, start this to do this, uh, I guess each state had want compete for this and finish up South Australia to do this, but I think Queensland looked like they were going to win to go from Queensland to Darwin first.
1: Well, again, with Mr Todd, he was an excellent negotiator and uh, he was able to convince people that his um, project, his design was more advantageous to the nation than um, uh, what the Queenslanders were offering. And for the overseas cable mob, uh, for them, it was simpler. All they had to do was land it in one spot in Darwin, and he took care of the rest. Whereas, if it went to Queensland, they might have landed it in Darwin, then had to do their own um, overse- overland route um, to Brisbane. And ultimately, uh, Todd was able to convince them that his proposal was the best.
0: What other thing did Todd do while he was in uh, in South Australia? what what earth did he set up
1: well he set up the observatory which uh, was on the site on west terrace where the adelaide high school is now um, so that was uh, observing planets and stars all that sort of thing uh, he set up a meteorological network where you could actually um, pass on all of your observations your rainfall and all that sort of thing from remote areas um, he standardized time synchronisation across the state. Um, He was involved in surveying as well. Um, And the beauty of having a telegraph network there is all of this information was readily shared throughout South Australia and Northern Territory and then beyond. So uh, it was not just a network there to send telegrams from one person to another. It was actually for scientific purposes Um, and for management of government purposes, all that sort of stuff as well. On top of that, um, he helped fix the boundary, what they call the 141st meridian between South Australia and New South Wales. Some of the early surveyors got some things wrong. Uh, It's why when you look at a map of Australia that the Victorian border with South Australia doesn't line up with the New South Wales border. Um, the Victorians have stolen a few kilometres from us. So, uh, But it was Todd able to, to fix by his meteorological and his uh, astronomical knowledge where the actual border was um, and uh, try and fix that problem, although the actual resetting of the border to Victoria has never been successful. Victoria is hanging on to their bit.
0: When, when they did the... Um Going back talk about the going from Adelaide to um, Darwin uh, what who was it someone been did it before them so well how did they know where they were going by the maps so it's been someone before them would have been gone a- ahead and uh, map it to, to Darwin and if if it's so who was it
1: well, they followed John McDowell Stewart's expedition. Um, they used his notes and uh, all his drawings, and then sent their own surveyors just to um, follow that to set it out exactly as they wanted it. So John McDowell Stewart was the man who really opened up the center for them.
0: So they' lie on, on, on his maps, and do you know what year the John McDowell
1: Stewart went up there? So John McDowell Stewart, in 1858, led an expedition to the north um, on his own account.
0: Okay. Um, so let's go back at the beginning um, to lay at, out. You say they had repeaters. To to um, so how many poles did you say they had to um to a square to a mile?
1: So it depended on the terrain. But um, 20 to the mile was what they were trying to achieve. Sometimes, with the country as it was, uh, they did with less. But you can't go too much less than that because then the weight of the wire becomes a problem for the poles to hold up.
0: I presume they would be uh, they would have cut the trees in the the region they were doing and then cut them to where they had it. and I guess they would have camels then horses.
1: I think the um, line parties used horses but um, as you said they cut timber on site wherever they could however their biggest problem with timber over time was white ants and so uh, after the line was built, they gradually replaced most of the poles with iron poles that they imported from England.
0: Was it one l- piece, piece of wire to run it, or was it two?
1: Uh, initially, just one piece of wire for the circuit you use the earth as a return path.
0: Tony, is there any more you want to say?
1: I just admire the man and his capabilities. His interests, though, were very wide. But his special gift was his capacity for organisation. He was able to see possibilities and pull together the resources to get the scheme occurring. Um, he adapted many, many roles. He developed a lot from nothing and basically set up South Australia Communications and uh, his other skills to uh, to be where they are today. Do you know uh, what year did he passed Yes, yeah, so Charles Todd died of gangrene on the January the 29th in 1910, and he's buried in the North Road Cemetery.
0: Do you know his name of his wife, and, or how many children, children they had?
1: Well, his wife's name was Alice, which is why you have Alice Springs, was named after Todd's wife. And the Todd River flows through Alice. So many things are named after Todd um, and a lot of his workmen and etc. on that route.
0: Tony, thank you very much for today to make time to talk about the Overland Telegraph stations and also talked about late Sir Charles Todd to... Ha- Amazing man he was to uh, nourish t- and the input that he put in for South Australia. So once again, Tony, thank you very much for today.
1: You're most welcome, mate. Uh,
0: from, from that, from, from, from the sea to the outback, this is Gavin Talk about, to Charles Todd, uh, about his life.